0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I am so excited for this episode. I have been meaning to bring on this guest for a while. We've been talking back and forth, and I feel like we've known each other for a lot longer than we actually have. But her name is Andrea. She is a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology, a therapist in California specializing in bipolar disorder, and a person with 25 years experience. Experience with bipolar. She is a passionate mental health and anti-stigma advocate. To the end, she speaks and writes for outlets such as Slate Magazine, NAMI, and the International Bipolar Foundation. She works with the academic organization, the International Society for Bipolar Disorders, as both a clinician and person with lived experience. Andrea is the creator of the world's first self-stigma program for bipolar disorder. You can learn more at the website. I'm going to share at the bottom in the show notes for you guys as well. And she hopes that telling her own story of life with bipolar disorder through the lenses of clinical causes, treatments, and outcomes will provide education, hope, and comfort to others. You guys can connect with her on Instagram at best life bipolar or on her website at Andrea Vasilev. on her. I'll put that on the show notes too, but also before we get into it, let me know, did I say your last name, right? You Vass- did.
1: Vassila. You did. Very well done, Vacilla. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. We, you guys, were talking before this because we both have my my old last name, Kevich, and we were going back and forth. I'm like, tell me how to pronounce it. Cause I know <laughs> I've been through the whole thing with the name, name change and how to pronounce it and all that. But I'm so excited to finally be having this conversation. I know we've been talking for so long back and forth with everything going on before, cause we were going to have this conversation earlier, but everything with the wedding, moving, right. changing jobs, all the big life things. So me and Andrea were able to reconnect and I can't wait to just dive into your story and just get into the the both worlds that you're in. Thank
1: you. I'm delighted to be here. It's so nice to finally meet you, you know, other than our constant voice messaging. I know, I know. (laughs) We always
0: would send those back and forth. So it was nice because I feel like it's, you're in person a little bit, but yeah, I'd love to get into just the experience that you have you know, going into being a clinician and talking about in particular psychotherapy for bipolar. I'd love to hear just your experiences with that. And then also the work that you're getting into and really how and why you decided to enter the the doctoral program that you're in and pursue that. So tell us a little bit about your history, your story with how you got your diagnosis.
1: So I was diagnosed at 14. So this is, this will be my silver anniversary, 25 years. I should throw myself a party, right? Uh, 25 <laughs> year anniversary this fall. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Oh my
0: goodness.
1: Um, The first thing they put me on was lithium. However, interestingly, because of stigma, my diagnosis on paper remained major depressive disorder for like seven years, right? Even though they were, they were treating it as, you know, as bipolar disorder, um, but they did put me on antidepressants, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was, it's been a really rough ride. I, you know, for many, many years, I was unable to work. I wasn't able to do much of anything Um, yet yeah, much of anything, you know, quantifiable, I suppose. I always did things right. I was always a, an energetic human, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, now I'm, I'm pushing 40 and I've managed to kind of rest control back um of my life and that's that's really nice and actually I've had other careers I used to be a teacher I used to write textbooks um I you're gonna laugh I've always loved psychology I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I was younger when I first got diagnosed but um med school 24-hour shifts all of that really just not not for me Mm -hmm. um so I struggled to be a teacher because I had to be there pretty early in the morning, maybe like seven in some places. And I could mm-hmm. not handle that having a bipolar sleep schedule and needing to keep to that. I just, I couldn't do it. So psychology, once you get through the madness that is graduate school, um, is the profession where you you can work for yourself and have control over your own hours. So ironically, that is one of the main reasons that I got involved in psychology. And it turns out to be you know, just the the passion of my life, which is really wonderful. And I'm very grateful for that.
0: Oh, that's so awesome to hear. And especially just getting into how you talk about being able to work for yourself and kind of combine the passions that you had, like mentioning being a teacher, writing writing the textbooks, wanting to do psychiatry and really blending all those together with really what you're doing right now, I think is so awesome because I relate to so much of what you're saying, especially with you mentioning the sleep schedule, trying to get that down and then getting your diagnosis at 14.
1: 14
0: years old. Yeah, that is because I know just so many Other people I talk with can have different age ranges and it's so hard. Like you said, having the major depressive part of it for a longer time instead of that. So when you were 14,
1: so you were diagnosed with bipolar at 14. So I was diagnosed. I mean, this is like the nineties, right? So stigma was a lot where you think stigma is bad. Now you should have seen us in the nineties, right? Oh yeah. So, um, I mentioned the lithium because I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, um, as most people are, so many people are when they present, they present because they're feeling depressed. They don't present because they're euphoric unless they end up in the hospital or they experience psychosis, right? It's much more common that people will present for help when they're feeling depressed. So that's what happened to me. But the very first thing they put me on was lithium. So my doctor mm-hmm. knew what was going on. She knew what was up. Someone presenting that young, that suddenly with a lot of the other features that I had, um, she knew that if this wasn't bipolar disorder now, it would very soon be. And, you know, Mm. she was right. She was brilliant. Wow. And just,
0: especially when you're mentioning, going back to talking about the the shift in time, right? Saying back in the nineties, this is really how it was handled, right? Okay. You're coming in with this. And that was really my experience as well with when you're mentioning the major depression, that's what I was diagnosed with first too. So I had Mm -hmm. that. And then it wasn't until years later that the mania started to come out. So I love to hear too. So from being 14 years old, getting that initial diagnosis, and then you said you started lithium and then then from that point when did you start to experience the more euphoric other other side of it that you were mentioning
1: so i actually spent most of my high school years in a hypomanic state i just didn't know it people just mm-hmm. thought i was woo you know really intense really energetic didn't need a lot of sleep really ambitious all of those things that you can see and you might even enjoy in hypomania, but, um, it was not sustainable. So eventually it fell apart, but you know, it's interesting. I heard a statistic the other day, sorry, not to nerd out, but I'm going to nerd out, <laughs> um, on the car, the Carlat podcast, which is a psychiatry podcast. It's really nice. Um, that I think it's like 30 to 40% of people with treatment resistant depression who present in outpatient care, uh, actually probably have some form of bipolar disorder. Mm, so wow. it, you really have to kind of dig to find the bipolar spectrum. Um, you know, if there are people out there who are still feeling really depressed and they they wonder, um, you know, what's going on? Might I have bipolar disorder? Instead, there's a great book by Jim Phelps. It's called Why Am I Still Depressed? Really, really wonderful book. Changed, changed my life, changed the life, lives of a lot of people um, because it talks about, you know, the bipolar spectrum and the ways in which you can experience a lot more depression and still have bipolar disorder. And that matters because you need to treat it differently hmm
0: No, I love that you mentioned those resources and just really what that looks like, because hearing you mention that it reminds me of me when I was first diagnosed with the ma- major depression. And then it wasn't until 19, I got my diagnosis of bipolar. And like you're saying, it shows up as, Oh, you just look ambitious and you're getting a lot done. You're super productive mm-hmm. and you're not really needing to sleep much. And then that goes on for years or however extended period of time, but not knowing what that is, you know, it's like, I'm experiencing being hypomanic, but I never really knew right. the name for it, a term for it. What else this is? Because I feel like something that happens too, especially when we're so young, we just get like, here's a label, here's what it is. And we just kind of fall into that. So you right. mentioned going through all of your high school years with that. And that's really what I feel like happened to me as well. So getting my first diagnosis 16 and not till 19 with the bipolar, what was your situation like? So when did you receive your diagnosis or more insight into the bipolar side of it?
1: Well, when I was in my early twenties, I read Dr. Phelps's book um, and it, it totally opened my eyes and I took it to my doctor, same doctor. And I said, I think I might have bipolar disorder and I'll never forget. She goes, sweetie, I know. (laughs) So she knew. And really what I think was happening was she knew because the first thing she put me on was lithium. So she could Mm -hmm. see the signs. She was a wonderful doctor. Um, She could see the signs, but there was so much stigma that I think it was just, I think she felt it was better for my family and and for me to just mark major depressive and she was treating me so she knew what was going on. Right. Um, But I had my first, you know, real manic episode probably like mid 20s and and Mm -hmm. you know then there was kind of no pretending anymore. (laughs) Wow. So that's cool to hear too, that you
0: talk about the same doctor. Cause I feel like it's so many people go cycle through different providers, different kinds of things like that. So to have someone that you, you walked in there at 14, got that diagnosis and you said, you said, Hey, I started out on lithium and then that this doctor knew that too. And then broke that down. But then you mentioned the stigma part of it. So really being able to say, Hey, you know, rather than major depressive diagnosis, you actually have this bipolar diagnosis and being like, Hey, this might be better for her because I'm going to continue to do treatments and different things like that. So once you had that meeting with her and you said, Hey, I think I could, you know, this might make sense with the bipolar because this book I was reading. And she said, yeah, I know this is, I already know all this. (laughs) Did, did anything change for you in that moment or?
1: Honestly, no. Nothing changed. So think about it when I was a young 14 as well. So when I was 14, I had no concept of myself as an adult, right? Without a mental health condition. Right. It was always just, I, I have red hair, I have a mental health condition. It was like whatever, one in the same. No one cares. Um, so hearing the words bipolar disorder didn't it didn't really mean anything to me. I didn't have a concept of what the public thought about bipolar disorder. So I had no way to Internalize that and and feel that shame that I you know I work with with my clients and mm-hmm. in the self stigma program. Oh wow! So hearing
0: you get into that too, and then that really makes me want to ask you too about this the stigma program that you created and started. How did that come about, or how did it start? And really, like walk me through the journey from you know obviously your own story plays a huge part in that, but.
1: Talk to me a little bit more about the creation of the program. I'd love to yeah, hear that. You might have to reel it in because, you know, I could I could talk about this. Talk like forever. Hours. <laughs> uh, it was the result of my of my dissertation of my doctoral work. And being a painful overachiever, I just put way more into it than probably I needed to. But it has since taken on an absolute life of its own. Um, I just presented it at a really big international conference. People are deploying it in different I don't know if I'm allowed to say where, so to say different hospitals, treatment centers, some really big ones across the nation, across the globe. So it's pretty cool. And I still run groups through the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance of California. I run groups. I have a waiting list. You can join the waiting list and I just run them as a volunteer. It's eight sessions. And um, yeah, we have a really good time and sort of work on self-concept, self-esteem, embarrassment surrounding the condition, all those erroneous thoughts you might have about yourself linked to the diagnosis.
0: Yeah. I love that you especially bring in the concepts to work through. Cause I feel like sometimes By someone either newly diagnosed or not diagnosed or wherever Mm -hmm. you are in your journey, you're knowing, okay, I want to learn more about this, work on it, but I don't really know what. And so you break it down into here's the pillars and putting that all together as well. And I love that you mention how this came about from your dissertation and your program and then being able to present that and then go out and have it being, like you're saying, trials and different programs and, and being used for that too. So I'd love to get into just along with the work that you started with that what impact has this had on either the clients that you're working with that you did not expect that it would have?
1: Um, and I didn't expect that. Well, maybe I had expectations that were too high because mm-hmm. I've seen kind of the results I was hoping for people connecting, people being more open with their diagnosis, people feeling less terrible about themselves, people experiencing less shame right? Mm -hmm. People being being willing to ask for help, all of those things that self-stigma can really take a toll on. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: you know, like you said, getting the knowledge out there, taking that back kind of to therapy. One of the big things that people do in therapy is psychoeducation and not Mm -hmm. just like learning from a book, but you know, this sort of skills training as it were. So that's, that's part of it as well. Yeah. I love how you break it down
0: into learning the skills about yourself, because I've, I feel like we've talked about this probably on our Instagram voice messages, but just not having this in traditional school, really being able to take these different subjects, but nothing about your feelings, your emotions, being able to understand that and just really break down the stigma when it comes down to vulnerability. Right. And that's really why I'm so happy we got the opportunity to connect because you're someone who who is open and, and talking about your experiences with bipolar disorder and then really how you combine that with the work that you're doing for the clients. Because I know- that, that that's really cool to me to see somebody who's on both ends. Like you've taken your experiences and use it to create something that is helping others overcome that hurdle of the stigma that you mentioned experiencing yourself at 14 with, and it's nothing you did. It's just the doctor wanting to say, maybe just protect right. you. She wanted
1: to protect me. Whereas I don't know that mm-hmm. I was actually having any stigma. I was, I was a baby. So. Yes.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing too is providing this education too because even for doctors, right, with having that good intention of I don't want to ha- say the bipolar because I don't know if that might mm-hmm. you know cause a stigma. But you being so young and not having any of that, not knowing any of it, but it comes from either something in in her that she's seen and either what she studied right. or what she's the seen out family. there. Yeah. And just how it's going to be received. So I'd love to ask you with your experience with going through psychotherapy and just how you've been able to translate that into the work you do now, if you can give me the top two things or the lessons that you took away from your own experiences in therapy that you've really carried over with you into your work.
1: Oh, that's an interesting question because you know therapy is traditionally really overlooked in bipolar disorder. There is such a biological load to this condition, right? It is so biologically founded that people tend to overlook therapy, right? They think, oh, I got my pills, it's fine. Or maybe you don't take pills, that's also fine. That's not for me to say, but therapy is intended, psychotherapy is intended as an adjunct in addition to any medical treatment that you might be receiving. But it's not something I ever really had, which is maybe why I'm so, so passionate about it um, because I've seen the impact it can have on people. It's not... Um, so I couldn't give you two top things I've learned because I mm-hmm. I, yeah. um, I think the thing I, if I had to name a top thing that I want people to know about therapy for bipolar disorder is that it can help you live a much better, happier, easier life. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about like
0: the extension of this is what I would want people. Cause I feel like people who don't know about it, they think, oh, you don't need therapy. You know, you have your... Right. Right. Let
1: me dispel some myths about therapy. So therapy for bipolar disorder is not just lying on a couch. It doesn't go on indefinitely. If you need help for a long time, that's totally fine. It's not just for people with difficult pasts. It's not something to be ashamed of. It doesn't mean you're weak. It actually means you're really strong and dedicated to your wellness. So therapy for bipolar disorder is supposed to be really skills-based, present-focused, like a how-to Right, almost like a how-to guide to live with this condition helps you make real-life changes, helps you know your condition, you know your specific manifestation of the condition, um, helps you monitor yourself, deal with unhelpful thinking patterns. Now I feel like I'm reciting my Instagram. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> deal with the stress of having a chronic illness, right, and gets to that ultimate goal of episode prevention, knowing your triggers, knowing your warning signs, right. There's, there's just so much, and there's so many, there's so many modalities.
0: Yeah, and I love that you t- you talk about the skills based part of it, and then really being able to pull that into how to apply it to your life, right? In yeah. situations that you know maybe have been reoccurring that we don't know, we don't even know that they're patterns, right? So yeah. being able to have someone that you're working with and really dispel those myths, like you're saying, and say, Hey, this is what most people might think about therapy. If you don't, maybe you've never considered it, or you don't know as much about it, or you've never really read about it. And you might just assume this is what it is. Right. Or, in is every
1: form of therapy, every therapist is a little different, but there's, there's, you know, a movement about bipolar disorder. And mm-hmm. there's some goals that, that we have in general, you know, ways that have been shown to be effective for people with bipolar disorder that are, you know, maybe specific to us that can specifically help us. There's even a type of therapy that was designed for bipolar disorder.
0: Uh, See, I love that you get into that. And especially the one that talking about the therapy designed specifically for bipolar, and then also going back to the triggers part of it, Mm -hmm. because I feel like that's a big thing that might cause somebody to either for me, I know that's an example for me too, of like, Hey, why I, you know, decided to go back to therapy or I'm noticing these different things and just wanting an, another insight into it. So I'd love to ask you to, with the stuff that you have done so far in your dissertation and really creating the the stigma program and putting that together, is there something that you've come across in that, that has just really changed, changed your view on what it means to live with bipolar
1: well, I think it's changed my view because like I said, I don't I don't live with a lot of self-stigma because I was so young when this happened. Mm-hmm. And I've seen through my clients and then through the participants in this program, people who really just devalue themselves so much, just think so little of themselves because of this condition. Whereas here's me like shouting it from the rooftop, like everybody wants to know. And I was like, no, Andrea, nobody cares anymore what your mental health condition is, right? Stop talking, <laughs> right? But just seeing people and I just feel so, my heart goes out to them. Right. Because they just, they feel so, so bad about themselves because of this condition. And that's something that, you know, going to therapy can help with participating in this program, I think helps with has been, you know, people who've done it said that it helps with, Um, but yeah, there's, you were mentioning about triggers and that's a big thing there. This is a biologically based condition, but our environment are, you know, these psychosocial triggers, as they're called, these things that happen in your life, they impact how your body and your brain function. Mm-hmm. And especially
0: when you're talking about yourself, not having
1: as much of the self stigma
0: and then seeing it in the people that you're working with. So seeing them feel really, really badly about this, not wanting to even, not even knowing where to start because of that stigma that right. they've put on themselves without even knowing really sometimes the roots of it. So I'd love to ask you if you had someone who comes and really wants to work on this and they're having a lot of this self-stigma, do you typically start, is there a place that you're like, we would start with this or how does it go?
1: Yeah. So it's funny. It's kind of ironic. Someone who's dealing with a lot of self-stigma is going to be less likely to seek treatment, whether Mm -hmm. it's medical treatment, medication, or therapy. So it would be, it would be rare for someone to come in and be like, Hey, I have bipolar and I'm feeling terrible about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. They, they'd end up, you know, I've had clients who end up in therapy for other reasons. And then they're like, Oh yeah, by the way, I have bipolar disorder, but I don't want to talk about it. And then we, mm-hmm. you know, we work from there. So a big place that people start is psychoeducation. And, you know, I don't just mean reading a book. I don't just mean learning on Instagram there's some great information on Instagram and that's why I'm like kind of so dedicated to mine but there's also there's also a lot of not great information floating around out there um either just incorrect or maybe not relevant to you or maybe can be misconstrued or misunderstood so mm-hmm. understanding i mean think about it if you're going to be driving the car through life with this thing in your passenger seat for the rest of your life. Don't you think you should get to know it? Not just like mm-hmm. the facts you can read from a book, but how it lives in you and how it shows up in your life. Right. Wow. I love that you bring that up. Cause I love the analogy of that,
0: right? You're driving through with bipolar in your passenger seat and no matter what the feelings you have around it, I hate this and what how much disaster it's brought to your life, getting to right. know that part of you and that, Side has really been able to help with understanding the patterns, the, the triggers, all of these different things that are floating around that are, have been causing so much of this. So, the one thing I always love to ask everybody, because everyone always t- talks and can give so many examples of what this means to them or really the work that they've been able to put into place. So, when you think about what it means to you, to live well, bipolar, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Self-acceptance. Mm, I love that. And when you think about that word of self-acceptance and tying it into what that really looks like for the whole, your whole life living with bipolar and how it's never going to go away or who right. knows, you know, yeah, really what does that yeah, look like?
1: Yeah. And I, this is like, I wrote an article for slate. That's kind of, kind of, you know, in the same vein is that accepting something doesn't mean you like it doesn't mean that you you want it but you accept it and you save yourself the trouble and the headache of trying to fight against reality right so it's not only acceptance of self as you are as a beautiful human right? Always telling people that. Uh, it's acceptance of the situation. It's acceptance even of limits you might have. Like, look at me. I wanted to be a teacher. Okay. That was a limit that I had. That was not a thing that I could do and stay well. I accept that. And I, I pivoted, you know, plot twist. Let's move mm-hmm. to a different direction, right? And people, people have dreams and they have ideas of how life should be and if you have this condition, chances are, it's going to be different. It could still mm. be really great, but chances are, it's going to be different than you imagined. So if you can accept that and you can accept yourself the way you actually are, I think that you can live very well.
0: Yes. It sounds like hearing you say that to me, what comes to mind is the acceptance is going through that piece is allowing you to take off the limits that you're putting on yourself with bipolar. So bipolar is limiting me, or I can't, like you talk about being a teacher. Oh, I can't do this and continuing to focus on it. And instead of saying, this is what I'm really enjoying and passionate about. And this is what I've been able to learn through investing my time. So really being able to see really where your passions lie, what does bring you joy, instead of sent, focusing so hard on things that either we've been told by others that we can't do, or you're not capable of, or the beliefs that we have in ourselves, and really being able to see that. So I love how you mentioned The self acceptance piece, because that really ties into how you were mentioning earlier with the self stigma and not having experience with that from your being younger yourself, but seeing it so prevalently in the people that you're having conversations with that you're working with and just really how it's come up in your program. So I, I, I really, I'm so excited. I need to link all of these resources and just, (laughs) you know, especially share the article you're mentioning that you wrote on slate with acceptance and just really the, the good work that you're doing. But you guys, if, if, if you, Are not already. You need to go connect. With Andrea on Instagram. I'm going to have all the things in the show notes. So you can follow her at best life bipolar and connect with her there. Best she always, dot life, dot bipolar. you best, know, I wanted to yes. make it best
1: life bipolar without the dots and everybody said it was hard to read. So I was like, oh, uh, fine. Yes. So <laughs> I will put it in there. Best.life with the,
0: with the correct way it'll be on there. So you guys can find her, but she always is posting content that is just super helpful, especially if not, even if you have bipolar disorder yourself, but if you have someone you love or care for, and you just really want to learn more about it and you've been you know, struggling to find resources. I really encourage you to connect with her. She has um, amazing content and just even her story, as you've heard here today, talking about her own experience with bipolar, with coming off being diagnosed with depression at 14 and the whole evolution of it and really what it's done for her life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. So Andrea, I just want to thank you so much for making the time to come out not just share your story, but share the impact that your story has had through the work that you've done. So thank you so much. Thank you,
1: thank you, thank you so much. And if I could get people to take one thing away, it would be to investigate therapy. There's so much more. i probably talk, I could probably nerd out for hours about the ways in which therapy can help bipolar disorder with circadian rhythms and sleep-wake and your thought patterns and mindfulness. And gosh, there's just so much. And yeah, I I really wish that for everyone. I, I wish that everyone can find that resource.
0: Oh, hundred percent! More investigation into that role of therapy for bipolar, and just really like you're do- continuing to do busting those myths and really just putting out the information that we are looking for and that we're really wanting to find more of. So I love it, and I feel like I can talk to you for days on this, and we're <laughs> gonna need to just get into more different specifics around this as well. But you guys, if you aren't connected, I'll have that information down below for you. And again, I want to thank you, Andrea, for making the time to come out here. I know. Thank we've been you for wanting having me. To have- this of course and again thank you you guys for making the time to tune in listen and get value I hope that you guys have gotten as much value from this conversation as I have had creating it for you and on that note I'm going to say bye to you guys and bye bye to Andrea so bye